Another day, another dollar makes you wonder where your money went. Hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world. The changing times and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't dictate, it is almost always the case during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. Today is Thursday, May 14th, and it is a milestone event. The Bicentennial episode, episode 200 of the Survival Podcast. And big announcement, I guess a big announcement, there will be no podcast on Friday, tomorrow morning, there won't be one, because I and my wife are going to pile into the truck about uh, 6 o'clock tonight, and head east, northeast to be specific, up to our bug out location in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Uh, we do expect to have two nice sunny days while we're there, one rainy one. During those nice sunny days, we'll be shooting a lot of video, so we'll be bringing back a lot of stuff for the member support brigade video stuff. So uh, that's the good part of us being gone on Friday. Otherwise, uh, I have actually taken Monday off of work, but we're planning to come back Sunday evening. So I will be home on Monday. I'll be doing a listener call-in show on Monday morning. Hence, 866-65-THINK is the call-in number. I have a massive backlog of calls. But if you have a question that you think is a cool question and uh, you want to get in queue and you want a chance at being on Monday's show, dial that number again, 866-65-THINK. Leave us a message, and uh, well, you might hear yourself on the air. Please do not leave any information on the message that you don't want given out on the air, um, because I uh, I won't know which part you want on and which part you don't. So if you leave a message at 8665-THINK that's a question to be answered, understand that anything you say there may and most likely will sooner or later end up on the Survival Podcast. So moving on from there, let's uh, let's knock out a, a little bit of house cleaning. Let's do the straight up house cleaning first. The number one, if you think you get more than twenty five cents in value out of each episode of the Survival Podcast, consider joining the member support brigade and contribute five dollars a month or fifty dollars a year. The choice is yours. That'll work out to a quarter an episode, and it helps support the work that we do here. Make sure you support our advertisers. Uh, they are on the right hand margin. They are individually vetted by my ad council, which are our moderators on the forum. I cannot take an advertiser without their approval. If more than two of them, or two, if two or more of them say no to an advertiser, they do not get approved, even if they have a check in hand and want to be on the site. Uh, today's advertiser of the day uh, is Tactical Response Gear, James Jager's outfit. Check them out. They have some really cool stuff. Uh, let's let that just kind of wrap up things for today. Oh, one more thing I want to tell you you guys, uh, we'll call it a house cleaning item. I've been going on and on about the Region 5 get-together. I've said that enough. Probably say it a little bit more in the coming shows, but if you're you know, not aware of that yet, you probably don't want to be. But uh, up in Iowa, and I, don't, I think it's Region 6, I don't remember exactly, or 7, whatever region it is that Iowa and the surrounding states are in, uh, up where Shannon Appleby is. Shannon is looking to put together a regional get-together up there. Uh, you can check out whichever region it is that Iowa is in, and uh, if Shannon has posted anything by the time I publish this, I'll put a link to it. And Shannon, I'm sorry I don't 
don't remember what region you're in. I'm having trouble remembering what day it is for me today. Uh, so those folks in that region don't take personal. Um, but let's move on from there. Uh, yesterday, I ran an impromptu uh, listener appreciation contest on CO2. And today I'm going to run a formal listener appreciation contest before I talk about yesterday's. Today you have an opportunity to win uh, a mini chest rig, which is a couple uh, magazine holders, cargo pouch, very high-end uh, piece of tactical gear. So if you're not a tactical type of person or you don't have a tactical type of person to give this to, this is probably a contest you shouldn't play because you're going to get this tactical piece of gear and uh, you're not going to have anything to do with it. So tactical piece or they're friends of the tactical only, please play today. Uh, to play, you must have entered the listener appreciation contest. I will have to be able to verify that you are in the contest, which means you filled out the form at the survivalpodcast.com before you play the game today. The way it works, you send me an email. In the email, you put in the subject line a code word that I'm about to give you. You put nothing else in the subject line except the code word. Don't put the contest code word is. Don't put the code word is. Nothing but the code word. The code word is SOE Tactical Gear in three words. SOE together. Tactical Gear. That is John Willis's company, and that is his website. And I want to make sure that since he's supporting us, we get some good branding done for him. So in the subject line, SOE Tactical Gear. In the body of the email, your name. Your shipping address in case you win so I don't have to track you down. And the email address you used when you entered the contest so I can verify that you are a legal entrant. I will give away a gear uh, set today to three people. Respondent number five. Respondent number 30. Respondent number 70. Five, 30, and 70, you will win. That means everybody gets a fair square chance to win. The early, the late, doesn't matter. I will warn you, don't look for your gear to show up in a couple days. We're going to be out of town. We won't ship until next week, probably next weekend. But you will know if you won probably by COB today. Now, yesterday's contest. This was something I did because as I was thinking about it, I was going to tell you the answer, and I thought people learn more when they look things up for themselves. The right answer yesterday came in at position number three from a guy that calls himself Google Dragon up in Canada. So i got to pay some Canadian shipping charges to send some cool stuff up to him. Uh, but I'm going to do that happily. But the answer was 0.0383%. So anything between 0.03% and 0.04%, I consider the right answer. I'd say 9 out of 10 of you got the answer right. So I was, I was again, I was I had to take another call there. I got a, one of my partners out of the country and... Lots of communication at odd hours. Anyway, uh, anything between 0.03 and 0.04%, I was accepting is the right answer. Most people got it right. Um, one person said it was 83%, which would be impossible since we have uh, 78% nitrogen and 18% oxygen. That doesn't really leave 18 or 80% of anything to fit in there. CO2, folks, Just I, I wanted to kind of make the point because of all this, this, this like, just cultish belief in, in global warming and CO2 being a toxin and all this other crap. CO2 is the fourth 
uh, entrant in our atmosphere as far as how much is there. There's, uh, the first two are uh, nitrogen and oxygen, which I think most people are aware of. The third most uh, prominent gas in our atmosphere is argon. Now, argon is a poison. If I put you in a room with uh, 30% argon, it will kill you dead. You will die. And you will die rather quickly and rather painfully. Argon is a toxin. There is three times more argon, or 0.09%, or no, it's, yeah, 0.09% argon in our atmosphere uh, than there is CO2. Now, what I want you to understand, again, if you're anywhere you can see out a window, I want you to look out that window right now, and I want you to realize everything that you see that's green requires CO2 to live. And there's a third, roughly, a third, not even a third, three hundredths of a percent of CO2 in our atmosphere. Let me make this, because it's such a huge earth, and let me make this real for you. If you took a table, and on that table you put a thousand pennies, and you picked up one penny and a set of tin snips, and you cut that one penny into thirds, and you put two pieces, two-thirds of it back on the table, and you held the one-third of one penny in your hand, and you looked at the other 999 and two-thirds pennies on the table, you're holding every scrap of CO2 in the atmosphere in your hand. That's how much CO2 is in our atmosphere, and every plant form on the planet needs it to live. Maybe we don't need to consider it a toxin. I'm not even talking about global warming here. I'm talking about our government deciding to regulate the staff of plant, of plant life on our planet as a toxin. Equating it, in fact, actually, the list of six toxins they came out with, argon wasn't on the list. Argon will kill you. If I put you in a room with 20% CO2, 30% CO2, as long as you have enough oxygen, you're good. You'll live. You can breathe it. It won't hurt you. And that's absolutely, positively true, folks. You can check it out for yourself. I'm going to let that go, because now we're going to go into what today's show is actually about. I thought today what we would do is we would look into the future a little bit. My predictions... For the near and the long-term future, what's actually going to happen out there? Me playing Gerald Salente a little bit. Now, I want to be clear on something as I go through today's stuff and today's show. I am not Gerald Salente. I do not own the Trends Research Institute. Uh, I don't pile through mountains of data and mountains of historical data on a daily basis. And my predictions today are simply what my show always is, one man's view, and they're more for fun. Please don't base everything in your life on what I'm about to say, but I do think that in many instances I'm going to be pretty much spot on. I think over the next five years we're going to see a major growth in people gardening and specifically gardening and growing things to produce food. I think it is going to be less driven by recession than everybody is saying. I think people are just starting to realize the value in it. And I think that every time someone starts a garden and shares it with somebody else, people look at it, and it's intrinsic into the heart and the soul of a human being to be in some way connected to the planet. We're, we're born here, 
we breathe, we literally breathe the planet in every time we inhale a piece of the atmosphere. And we are symbiotically working with the environment when we exhale that toxic carbon dioxide because every plant around us needs it. We are so connected to this planet as a life form that what we've done to ourselves with the technology revolution, which has produced some amazing things I'll give you, but as we've separated ourselves from that connection, and I think a lot of people are walking around pretty freaking miserable as people. They don't know why they're miserable. That's led to the overspending along with easy credit. And that's what's made people unhappy with who they are. They're not so much unhappy with how much money they have. Most people today, unless you know, you're one of the people that got laid off and you're trying to pay your bills and you can't, most people that are employed today that are paying their bills actually have plenty of money. Now, I don't mean plenty of money like Donald Trump money or Mark Cuban money or any kind of money like that. But when it comes to being able to feed yourself, keep a roof over your head, make sure that your children can eat, make sure that your spouse can eat, to, to, to live better than 90% of the people on the globe, most people in America have plenty of money if that's the metering stick. But most people in America today are pretty freaking miserable. And I see them right now. I'm looking at them next to me in the cars around me. They're miserable. They're absolutely... Um, here's one right here. Lady put her makeup on. Great. But she's miserable. I can see it in her face. I can see the dread. It's a Thursday. It's cloudy. I'm going to work again. I hate this place I'm going to. I don't like it here. And folks, when I came home from work last night, if you asked my wife, I was miserable. Uh, with my partners being away and, and out of the country over in Europe and me having to pull all the weight myself this week, it's been tough. And I've just been miserable with work um, this week. But what I did when I got home last night is I went out and one of my raised beds needed a trellis built, uh, you know, with uh, metal conduit. And I went out there and I built that trellis and I started weaving the tomato plants in that bed into that trellis. And when I came in, covered in sweat, an hour later after I got home, I was in a great mood. And I think that's what's going to drive this green revolution because it makes people feel good. And unlike a drug, unlike alcohol, unlike buying a shiny thing, unlike a special status credit card, it's not a phony boost. It's a real boost. People really feel better. There is a cost savings in there. But if you look around the people today that are doing the most with gardens, they're not the people that are laid off and broke and looking for a job. They're the people that are still employed, that have been faced with the reality that it can happen. Because the broke guy that's lost his job can't afford the initial expense right now. So when people say that the depression or the recession is fueling the garden revolution, they're right. But they're wrong. They're right in that it's, it's made people more acutely aware of what's going on, but it's not people trying to save money. It's really people understanding that there are risks out there, and the ones that can still do it, that still have the means to do it, are taking a preemptive step, not a reactive step. And as they're doing it, they're reconnecting with something that we've lost, and that's going to drive a lot of things forward. And I think that's a short-term prediction. I think we're going to see that continue right through into next summer. We're going to see a lot more people doing it. Um, 
I don't think that I'm a genius for figuring that out. I think that most people are aware of that. They may not really understand it, but they're aware of it. Michelle Obama standing out in her uh, Vogue attire and putting in an herb garden by sticking the shovel in the ground one time and waiting for 20 illegal Mexican laborers to come in and do the rest of the work. That's not Michelle Obama creating a revolution, folks. Politicians and politicians' wives do not create revolutions. They ride them. They ride the wave and they try to take popularism out of it. And what you saw there was her advisors going, hey, Michelle, look, you want to connect with Americans? Look, they're doing this now. You need to do it, too. And if she really wanted to connect, she would have looked a lot more like Barbara Bush when she went out there than a cover girl. And and I'm not a big fan of Barbara Bush, but at least she knew how to connect to people. She knew how to look like you and me, where Michelle Obama looks like an executive woman in a boardroom. And even that executive woman who's miserable in the car next to me right now, when she goes home and works in the garden, she takes off the freaking Prada. She puts away the Gucci bag. She puts on comfortable clothes, and that's what you wear to a freaking garden. So don't pay attention to the politicians in this revolution. Pay attention to the people next to you. And the next time you look at somebody in the car next to you on your way to work and you think that person's clueless, realize they may not be. They just might be miserable because of the direction that they're heading or the day that they had. My next prediction is that over the next five years, the problems with Social Security and the eventual exhausting of the trust fund get worse and more prominent, and people finally start to accept the reality behind it. But there's a segment of people that start to accept the reality that have been in denial up till now, and it's going to kick up a shitstorm when it happens. And here's what I mean. The old people, we'll call the old people everybody over 60. If you're over 60, don't take that the wrong way. I just need to classify people for this. I don't really think you're old. It's just you're old enough, you're going to get your money. There's 20 years, no problem. We'll be able to pay people for 20 years. You'll be 80 at the end of that if you're 60 today. There's still some more money. We'll be able to pay the people that are 80 some more money at that point. We, we won't cut off the 80-year-olds at that point. So the old people are going to get their money, and the old people that are already getting their money are greedily guarding the fact that they're going to get their money. They feel entitled to it. They feel that they've earned it. I can't say that you don't, but you are in denial of reality, but it really doesn't matter. You're going to get yours. The people that are 20-something, 30-something, going into their early 40s are the people that you know, they look at 70 is when you're going to be getting Social Security in the future because they're going to raise the age. They're going to have to. So if you're 40, it's still 30 years before you can even collect. It's not really on your mind, and pretty much people that are 40 and under have decided, you know what, I'm not getting any anyway. I'm not planning on this. I'm not expecting this. But the people right now that are between their 50s and their early 60s, They're the ones that still think they're getting money that may not get money or may get highly reduced amounts of money. Or they're starting to add up how much they put in and realizing how little they're going to get out. And those people that are, like, in their upper 40s that are, like, really still working their asses off in corporate America that are paying massive amounts of money and are realizing, I'm not going to get anything. That group of people is finally going to get connected with the fact that this money is going to run out. 
and it's going to cause again a shitstorm. It really is, and you're going to see a lot of belly aching and bellowing and everything else about this. But you're still going to see politicians rate up until we won't let them anymore. Make it the elephant in the room that nobody talks about. Nobody is unaware of this. This is not a Democrat issue. This is not a, a Republican issue. This is not a liberal issue. It's not a conservative issue. It's a simple matter of fact that the money that needs to come out of it exceeds the money that can go into it. And we can't borrow to pay that. No one will loan us money to pay Social Security. It just won't happen because there's no return of investment. And I think people are also going to start to become aware of this fact. You don't pay 7.5% Social Security, which is if you look at your paycheck and you made $1,000 for whatever period of time, you'll look at it and you'll see that, you know, uh, 75 bucks came out of your paycheck. You'll say, well, that's uh, that's 7.5% of $1,000. But if I'm employing you, I paid another 75 bucks. That's $150 that actually went into the Social Security fund on your behalf. And if you were a $10 an hour employee, and you worked from the time you were 20 to the time you were 70, and you invested in very conservative crap bond funds, things that have you know a, a proven rate of return in the 6 to 7 percentile range, um, and did that every single check because you had the money because it wasn't being taken away from you and put into this government fiasco, at 70, you'd be worth about $6 million. If you were a complete loser, and if you work for 50 years and you don't get one raise, you are a loser, you are a failure. So the biggest loser would be worth $6 million at retirement with very conservative investing, which means they could pay themselves about $300,000, $350,000 a year. With conservative interest on the $6 million, $300,000 a year they would have to live on. They could do that till the day they died, and they wouldn't drop the $6 million balance, and they could leave it behind to their children, an inheritance of $6 million, living on $300,000 a year. Roughly $30,000 a month would be their income. What they're getting today is about $1,200 on average. And the system doesn't even work at $1,200. It's going broke. People are going to start to figure this out. Right now we're down to a point where it's about three working people to support one retired person. Within 20 years, basically, you know how you see these things on TV and a guy comes on, little Lucinda doesn't know that you're over in America shoving steak in your face right now. She doesn't know that over in America kids go to school and she doesn't. She doesn't know that people throw shit. That crap where they make you feel guilty and they say support her with a contribution of $25 a month. Right, and you just you set a check, and they'll send you pictures of her, and here's her getting her shoes, and here's her going to school, and, and all that jazz. I don't want to put it down. I'm just saying you need to know what I'm talking about. Within 20 years, they'll be able to do that with your old person. It'll be one to one. Your your work, your effort, is a working person. One person working will be supporting one person on Social Security. They'll be able to send you a picture. Here's your old person. Here's them spending their Social Security on lima beans. 
Here's them going to church. This is the person that you support individually. You work your ass off for this one person. That'll be too much. That's what we're headed for with Social Security. And that's why people are going to start moving to more self-sustaining lifestyles. And that's kind of my next prediction. I actually think that the survivalist, self-sufficiency uh, movements, permaculture movements, all of these things that, that are very similar to each other in reality, and a lot of times, like, the permaculturist would think, ah, oh, there's no way I'd get along with the survivalist. The survivalist is the gun-toting freak. And the survivalist, the hardcore survivalist, is like, those permaculture guys are a bunch of granola-chewing hippies. And the reality is that I think that those worlds are going to start to merge. And it's why I talk about such a broad diverse array of things on this show, I want those worlds to merge. Because I believe that it's by bringing those things together that we're going to have more power and more influence and more success at getting the overall message across that we take too much and we give too little. We borrow too much and we earn too little. We spend too much and we earn too little. We spend too much and we don't save enough. All of these things are interwoven, intertwined. We, because it's not just taking resources, it's taking things right out of our own backyard. It's the way that we grow our grass, for God's sakes, where we make the earth a sponge instead of a living organism. All of these worlds are going to start to merge for people. Now, let me be clear. I don't think they're going to merge for 50% of the people. I don't think half the people are going to wake up. I'm not really very optimistic that 25% of the people are really going to wake up. I do think it will be somewhere uh, over the next 10 years of about 10 to 20% of people in America are going to start to live radically different lives from a, a sustainability standpoint. From the, They're going to turn into, 10 to 20% of America will turn into what we call today preppers. And I'm hoping by that time we don't even call that being a prepper anymore. We just start to look at that as something that you know a large number of people do. There's a huge portion of this country that are on welfare and government entitlement programs. I don't expect those people to change anytime soon. Now, why I mention that, I, I need to, to be clear one thing up. I get emails once in a while from people going, you know, lay off the people that are on government assistance programs. We're on disability and we can't help it. If you're really on disability and you really can't help it, and you know, like one guy that emailed me is like a disabled vet, I don't begrudge you. I don't think they give you enough for what you've done. And if you're truly on disability because you were born with some sort of problem or you were injured in some way, that you just cannot work a job, you just can't do it and you need support, I don't begrudge you either. I am all for, for helping people in those situations. I think you'd get more help if we got the government out of that business, but since it's what's available to you right now, I do not begrudge you for doing it. That said... Um, I worked with people at Lockheed Martin when I was a contractor there that were in wheelchairs that had to use their mouth to move their wheelchair. And they had jobs, and they showed up for work 40 hours a week, and they contributed to society, and they earned a pretty damn good living. So I will question some people as to, do you really need to be on disability? But if you do, that's fine. I'm talking about the people that know that they don't. I'm talking about, and there's a big difference between being on disability and being on welfare. 
those are two different worlds. And I think the people that are on true welfare, they're not going to wake up because they have no incentive to. And I think that the upper middle class that continues to thrive no matter how bad the economy gets, the only thing they're worried about is their 401k balance and their stock investments. But when it comes down to the run-of-the-mill income, they can still buy whatever they want, and they still are cash-rich, and they have lots of disposable income. They're not going to wake up. So those two ends of the spectrum are not going to wake up. I also think the people that have brainwashed themselves into partisanship. I'm a Democrat because my daddy was a Democrat and his daddy was a Democrat. And I think we got to take care of the working man and we need this. And, we, and, and they're just, just married to that idea. Or the, I'm a Republican and I'm against this and I'm against And we need either side. Those people that are dyed in the wool on either side. A very small portion of those people will cross over. I can't say none of them will, because I used to be one. Before I ran for office as a libertarian, I was actually pretty involved with the Republican Party in the state of Texas. And I was a dyed-in-the-wool Republican. I believed in the cause, and I thought we were fighting a good fight. So some people will make that crossover. With the people I left behind, I can tell you most of them never will on either side of the coin. But in the middle, we have this group of maybe 50% of America. They go to work every day, they're miserable, and they don't know why. They look around and they realize something's wrong, but they can't put their finger on it. Of that 50%, I think as much as, if we're really optimistic, half of them, or 25% of the nation, will kind of come over to our camp. And that will be a huge difference for America. So I see a big movement into the prepper community, but I'm not saying it's going to take over. It will be some small, it will be some minority, but a significant minority. I see over the next 10 to 20 years massive numbers of people moving away from the cities, as far away from the cities as they can. I see the population of every major city in America. Maybe not the actual living population, but the, the daily population. In other words, there's a lot more people in Manhattan, in New York City, at, let's say, 3 o'clock in the afternoon than there tends to be at 3 a.m. in the morning when most people that are there are sleeping in bed because they live there. That actual living population I see going into decline, or not going into decline so much as the, the, the daily population declining across the board. I see most major cities, even the living population, decline. Cities like Dallas, Houston, Atlanta, Los Angeles, San Francisco, all of these major, Boston, Providence, Philadelphia, all of these big cities, I see their numbers of population declining, and there will be a bigger decline in that daily population, people that even work there. And I see a lot of them heading way into slum, and I also see a lot of them being revitalized as the population declines to something that's more sustainable. And it's going to be up to the individual people that manage and run those cities what that result is going to be. And some are going to do it right and some are going to do it wrong. I see more and more people moving to rural America. I see the status symbol going from a McMansion on a tenth of an acre. People are going to want a three-bedroom, two-bath house 
fifteen to two fifteen hundred to two thousand square feet with two acres of land or more. That's going to become what people really want. Something that's easier to take care of, it costs less money, that requires less of your effort to support it. I see a real move toward people creating homesteads once again in America. What we've learned as we look at society is that we always wax nostalgic for the past sooner or later. When 9-11 hit, how many people went back to watching things like Abbott Costello and I Love Lucy and these old shows in black and white that reminded us of a simpler time. Why? Because when we're stressed, we decide that simplicity is a better way. And instead of having this massive stress like we did around 9-11, people now are realizing and becoming acutely aware of the combined effect of a little bit of stress every day over time. And they're realizing that people are keeling over of heart attacks a lot less because of trans, you know, transaturated fats than they are because they're miserable every day and the stress that's on their body every day and the stress that's on their hearts and their minds every day. And they're going to look for more simplicity. I'd say that block of 15 to 25% of America is going to severely rein in its spending and they're going to put a higher premium on saving cash and having hard assets. When they do buy things, they're going to buy things that are really suited for the future. So this is actually quite an optimistic prediction that, uh, that I have here, an optimistic future that I have here. But let me turn the page now to the other side of this prediction. I think that is somewhere between 15 to 25 percent of Americans take ourselves out of the systems. Those that do are going to be the biggest contributors to those that don't. The wealthy person that knows how to run, operate, manage a business, and, and don't think I'm putting them down. I respect them. I'm actually one of those people myself. I'm just choosing to opt out at some point from the system myself. But that person, no matter how hard they work, no matter how much they do, what really makes them successful is knowing how to motivate, manage, and direct people. If you can do that, you can build a business. If you cannot do that, you better hire someone that can and stay the hell out of their way. Those are your only two choices in that world. Well, as a large number of the productive people in those systems leave it, there's going to be less to do. There's also going to be less people buying the crap that those businesses produce. So I see that eventually this recession looking like it's going to go away, and the next time that it comes back around, I see something that's going to make this first recession look like a joke. They will call it another recession. If Barack Obama's in office, he'll get the blame for it. If we've switched uh, captains of the ship by then, whoever takes it over will get the blame. But the reality is it'll all be part of what we're doing right now. It's just going to be part of this one big giant cycle. We're not measuring these cycles large enough yet. When that happens, you'll see a stock market crash that'll make this one look like a walk in the park. Don't ask me exactly when that's going to happen. I'm just telling you sooner or later it's going to happen. These city streets and these giant city uh, freeway systems that are jammed with cars every day, 15 years from now they're not going to be jammed with cars every day. 
Because people aren't going to want to be here. That's part of the population decline in these cities. People are going to leave. Even the prosperous areas like Dallas-Fort Worth. This is one of the most prosperous areas in the country right now. People are going to leave here too. People are going to get tired of it. It's going to drive urban real estate down and even suburban real estate prices down in the future. Further down than they are right now eventually. It is going to happen because we're going to have more houses available here than we have people that want to live in them. It is going to occur. When the work isn't here, the people will leave. On the other side of that, if you want to own your little 2 to 5 to 10 to 20 to 60 acres out in the country, whatever it is that you want, now is the time to buy, and the next couple of years will continue to be the time to buy. This is not going to happen very, very quickly, but those pieces of property are going to get a lot more expensive because they're going to become a lot more desirable. When you take 10, 15, 20% of the population out of the cities and they start buying up little pieces of land in the country using geographic arbitrage to do it. In other words, if I live in a city and I earn a big city income for 10 years and I save up my pennies like crazy and I accept my sacrifice, when I go out to buy some land in the country, well, you know what? I can buy an awful lot of land in the country for what I would have paid for a little lot in the city. So that starts to drive prices up. We've already seen this. We've seen it in specific areas like Montana and Wyoming when the Californians with the big bankrolls decided they all wanted to become ranchers and own big pieces of land. And then land that you could have bought for next to nothing five years later was extremely expensive, selling for millions of dollars. We've seen it in Phoenix, Arizona, and we've seen it in Las, La- Las Vegas, Nevada, in the suburbs around those two cities. As people have decided, screw California, I can't take this crap anymore. And they've moved out, and they've moved to those cities because there's high-tech jobs there that are just like what they had in California. And they can go there, work for half their paycheck, and live a better life. And they're doing it. All I'm saying is that same thing that's happened with that California migration into those western states is going to start happening all across America. People are going to move to rural Georgia. People are going to move to rural Arkansas, rural Missouri, rural Mississippi, as uh, the thunder cracks in the background here. It's going to happen, and when it does, you're going to start to see um, country real estate prices go up. So, again, I think now is the time to buy land. I really do. Especially places that are going to become highly desirable when people want three, four, five acres. And I think that's going to be what people are going to really want. It's not, it's, they're not going to want to live alone. They're not going to go into this loner mentality. But if you have five acres of land, it's pretty easy to not feel like you're on top of your neighbors, maybe not even see your neighbors if the, if the property's developed right. But if you need them, they're there. And I think more and more people are going to do just that. Right now, I think that the biggest... Um, Unofficial community, I guess you'd call it. It's not really an unofficial community, but the biggest communities that are outside of government and outside of regulation where people that just live in the community get together and talk and discuss things is the churches of America. I see some of them growing. I see some of them shrinking. Um, I'm not going to get into specifics because I don't want to offend anybody there. But I think that we're going to see kind of some moving around between denominations and belief systems and based on how churches 
run their policy. But I also see a large number of people of this 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 ten to ten to twenty five percent of people that are going to start moving out of the cities, that are going to start living more of a survivalist, sustainable lifestyle. A huge number of those people are simply not religious. They have no interest in church. Many of them are spiritual people. They believe in God. Many of them are even Christians, in that they believe in the the, the story of Christianity and they believe in the Bible. They might even read it, but they're not church people. They don't want anything to do with the church. And if you do, I'm not putting you down. I'm just saying there's a segment of people that think exactly the opposite from you. And I think those people are going to start to form some new sort of community out there. It's probably going to be fed by the Internet, but I, and I don't know exactly what it's going to be yet. It may be, indeed, sustainability communities, uh, things like that. I think the churches uh, of the, the country will be involved in that, but there's going to be some kind of movement where if you want to be part of it, if you want to be part of your community, you can have it without having somebody else's faith shoved on you. Because as people start to move away from this constantly being surrounded, they're going to become more open. They're going to want to communicate with their fellow man. And they're going to need an outlet and they will create one for themselves. So I think that's another movement that we're going to see occurring over the next 5, 10, 15 years. It is going to happen. And it's going to bring people closer together. So what I'm saying is we're going to see the density of population fall. People living further apart, but they're going to be more likely to know the names of everybody that lives on the road that they live on than they are today. Because right now we cram in ten houses to an acre. And on the acre of land, if we put a one acre block around most Americans' homes and said you can't read the mailboxes, tell me everybody that lives in this one acre, the other nine people around you, they don't know their first names, let alone their last names. They don't know anything about them. They might know one or two. These are the one on each side of them, but they don't know the guy at the end of the road, they don't know him. Now, if you do, you're the kind of person that reaches out. The people you know probably don't know the other people you know. In other words, what I mean, if you do know, let's say you live on a cul-de-sac with ten houses in a little acre to make it convenient. If you know everybody on that street, odds are if you took, you went and talked to one of them at the end and said, hey, do you know the name of that guy at the other end? Do you know anything about him? He doesn't. You're the oddball because you're interested in people. Most people today in these communities are not interested in their fellow man. They don't want to talk to anybody. They're miserable when they go to work. They're miserable when they come home. They might wave. They might say hi. They might even say, how are you doing? But all they want to hear is, fine, good, and you? Okay, great. And go on. They don't want to hear, oh, I'm miserable. They don't want to hear about your day. They don't really care when they ask the question. But if something weird happens, when you put people into a more natural state, a lower population density, that village mentality, that tribal mentality starts to rise. And that's what I'm saying, and that's what we're going to see occurring in the future. So it's, it's starting to rain a bit. I think I'm going to go ahead and uh, wrap up because it doesn't look like it's going to stop raining uh, by the time I get to the office. It's kind of distracting, I'm sure, for you to hear it, and it's kind of distracting for me to try to drive in it and continue to uh, conduct the show because, I mean, folks, I don't know how well you can hear it, but it is absolutely pouring where I can only see about 20 feet in front of the car right now. So I'm going to wrap up today's show. But as we looked into the future today, I hope that if you're listening to the show, 
show you're the kind of person that said, you know, there's a piece of that future that I'm actually really looking forward to and I want to be a part of. And again, when I was talking about moving into these communities that are outside of churches, I'm not putting the churches down in any way, shape, or form. I don't mind offending people in any way, shape, or form if I believe the offense is warranted. It's just not there, and I don't want you to take it that way. Uh, So make sure that you understand what I was saying there. Make sure that you continue to plan for your own future. Make sure you continue to figure out what it is that you really want for you and those you love. Because that's what's going to drive this future that I'm speaking about today, is people that say, I know exactly what I want. I want that place to look like this, and I want it to be in this area, and even though these people will never move there too, I want to be able to see them, so I have only this distance that I'm going to go, and I want to be able to provide this for myself, and this is the budget I need to be able to earn his income, and here's how I'm going to make it, and damn it, I'm going to do this, because if I don't do it, no one's going to do it for me. And I'm going to make sure that I can take care of myself no matter what happens. But damn it, I'm going to start enjoying my life. That is what's going to make the future different. And even if I'm wrong, even if I'm overly optimistic at 10 to 25% of people in America doing that, if it's just one and it's you, it's enough and it matters to you. And it'll change your life and it'll help you live a better life. This has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they you don't. You can scream and you can holler, it really doesn't matter because it all gets spent.